welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. My Ups Partners, I'm your host here tonight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And to the show, we're talking about lawyer horror stories. What happens if you don't use a top shelf lawyer? Andrew, I know you've got a story you want to tell us. There's an investor that I was working with who, against his better judgment and the advice that I gave him around choose one of the Opus approved five top lawyers in New Zealand for buying an off-the-plans investment property, he used his mate. And here's the problem with using his mate. When he decided not to go ahead with the purchase, his friend went through the contract and his friend is an excellent lawyer, but not in property transactions. So he didn't understand the build contract. He had to read through every single last bit of it, gave him a reporting letter, which was as long as my arm, and then started kind of worrying about all the possible things that would go wrong rather than considering actually some of these kind of risks is just part of buying off plans. So eventually the investor said, oh, you know what, this isn't the right investment for me and decided not to go ahead with that property. And then he gets a bill from his mate. How much? $6,000. $6,000 for a deal that they didn't proceed with. Ridiculous. That's outrageous. It was absolutely. And then he emailed me and said, what do you think of this? And I said, that is preposterous. That is ridiculous. Go back to your friend and tell him he's off his head. But he can't do it. He doesn't want to say to his friend, no, I don't want to pay that. Six grand's enormous. It should be two grand plus GST. Oh, not even that for a deal you haven't gone ahead with. In fact, I had one that was, I think, the one that I didn't go ahead with recently cost me 800 bucks. Yeah, a completed deal might cost you a couple of grand, three grand, absolute most of it's complicated. For a deal that you don't go ahead with, there's not the same amount of work. You're not doing the mortgage documents. You're not doing the title transfer. You're not doing... The money exchange. And just for clarity as well, Andrew mentioned a reporting letter before. So the way it works, if you haven't worked with a lawyer before for a property transaction, is you give them your contract, they'll read through it, and then they'll write you a short document with mainly the things you need to know in the contract, usually the risks you need to be aware of and anything you need to do. So just a quick summary of that. And so a reporting letter that's really long, that indicates that this person has probably picked up or read a bit too much into some of the clauses, maybe not familiar with it. What did that lawyer specialise in? I think he was um, a family lawyer, and so he'd done some property stuff, but it wasn't his day-to-day role. He might do, say, 20 conveyancing transactions a year, whereas Sue Foley might do that 20 a week. There is a big difference between a standard S&P and then what's needed for development. Absolutely. So what were this guy's main mistakes, the investor's main mistakes? Okay, the first thing is using a lawyer who didn't understand build contracts. And that does three things. So firstly, your lawyer's going to have to take more time to understand the contract. So it is going to be more expensive because they're not going to be able to cast their eye over and go, yeah, that's all pretty standard. The second part to that is the lawyers start quibbling about things that are just pretty standard in build contracts. And actually, I'm just thinking of another investor that I was talking to recently, and they told me some of the things that the lawyer was going to ask for as part of their negotiations of the contract. And I said to them, your lawyer's wasting your time and money. There's no way a developer can sign off on that because it just won't work. And from a developer's standpoint, they could just take another buyer as well, someone that's not going to quibble over those things. It's funny. We were just on the phone to Sue Foley, one of our preferred lawyers, and we'll give you some other names later on in this episode. And we're talking about one specific clause that I'll give you some more detail on in a moment. And she said, it's been like that for 20 years. It's just what it is. And the third thing as well is, as uh, someone that is maybe less familiar with checking out build contracts, while they might pick up things and quibble over things that aren't necessarily worth 
squabbling about, they might miss things that are worth squabbling about or are worth negotiating. And the second mistake that this investor probably made was not getting a really clear indication around what the fee was going to be. They would have absolutely received a disclosure letter or an engagement letter from the lawyer. That's part of every lawyer's practice. But it probably just had kind of rates for their hourly rate. If he'd said to his mate, hey, what's this going to cost me if I go ahead? And what if I don't go ahead? I'd hate to think what it would have been if, <laughs> if he did go ahead. <laughs> Might have had to double the mortgage. He would have ended up paying a fraction of that $6,000 if he'd had the opportunity to come back to me and say, hey, does this seem normal? I would have said, no way. Now, was this guy from a particularly big name firm? Uh, was, was he a, a KC? It, it, it was, no, it was a big firm for that area, but it was just someone that he'd grown up with. Interesting. Hey, I want to give you another example of a lawyer horror story. One of our property partners, financial advisor, Stevie, who had an investor she was working with, and, and again, this investor decided, hey, I'm not going to use one of the OPA's approved lawyers, which you've got every right to do, by the way. But the lawyer was saying to the developer's lawyer, we need the contract to be conditional until the title is issued. Now, effectively, what the lawyer wanted to stop was the developer saying, cool, this property is going to have a freehold or a fee simple title, and then midway through development, now we're going to change it to a unit title or a cross-lease or something else. Now, that might make sense, but the developer cannot accept your contract being conditional, i.e. not fully locked in, for the duration of the build. Well, why is that? Well, the developer needs to finance the property and the banks need to see pre-sales. Now, if you are not unconditional as the purchaser, the developer's not going to be able to get the money to build the thing. So you can't have any clause in that contract allowing you to be conditional. And this is actually the clause that Sue was saying, it's been like that for 20 years, and it's pretty self-policing. Developers don't mess investors or buyers around because they know that if they really mess people over with something which is, I've never heard of that happening, that'd, no. be, that'd be very fringy. But if a developer tried to do that, they'd lose their reputation. They'd never be able to do another development again. And certainly someone that we've recommended through our due diligence on a developer, we've got quite a public forum, people. If someone does something like that, you will know about it. <laughs> but I think what I really want to point out in this situation, and I know it's specific, you might think, well, what does it matter if a lawyer doesn't understand build contracts or not? Well, in this case, you're getting pretty bad legal advice because the lawyer is recommending something that the developer's lawyer can never accept. And a lawyer who was within the business will know how far they can push a clause and who can't. So what's the issue? Well, again, you're going to spend more money because the lawyer's spending time going back and forth with the developer's lawyer. B, you've got some bad advice there. And C, the investor didn't go ahead. And I'll tell you something interesting, Andrew. People want to invest in property. Every single person listening to this show wants to build a property portfolio. And I tell you what, it takes guts to give it a go, especially the first time. And it's very easy to get spooked as well. And one of the things I see that are spooking investors at the moment are lawyers who don't fully know what they're doing, especially around build contracts. And we're going to see more of this. The reason we're going to see more of this is interest in new builds has increased since the tax laws have come out. And there are the special tax incentives through the interest deductibility rules for, for new builds. And so I do think that one of the risks for investors who want to build a portfolio is not doing it, not because they think it's a bad time and not because they can't afford it, but because of the sounds that they're 
and I hope this doesn't come across as too harsh, but in some cases, uninformed lawyers uh, make. I'll, I'll give you another example from years and years ago. I remember there was a, a game, kind of a, a small time lawyer that worked out of, I think, his house from memory out in Kaipoi, and he was working with one of my investors. This was before Opus, even. And I remember working with these guys as their mortgage broker. And they told me about this investment property. I thought, that was a great idea, good numbers. And we worked out what the tax implications were for them. This is back in the days when you could claim back tax credits and everything. And they went to their lawyer, Ian, and the lawyer said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. The lawyer didn't know what he was talking about. He was not an accountant. He was not a financial advisor. And he was just being flippant with the advice and wrong with advice. I remember they rang and said, hey, look, he's kind of talked us out of it. And I said, well, that's fine. But what solution has he given you, number one? But also, what are the ramifications for him when you're 65 and you don't have enough money? Is he going to help support you then? Or is he just going to throw out these things with no explanation as to what you should do? I'll give you one more example that's similar. Lance, another one of our financial advisors, but this one, he's based out of Wellington, sent me a story about one of the investors he was working with. And the lawyer said to the investor, don't worry about the new interest deductibility taxes or the, the new interest deductibility rules. I invest in old properties and they're fine. I heard about this. Now, that's fine if you're either a rich lawyer and you're on a very <laughs> high income, which is fine. I mean, I don't begrudge anybody on a high income. Good on you. But not everybody is in that position. But similarly, maybe you invested 30 years ago and your mortgage is 100k and maybe it won't impact you because you invested a long time ago when properties were significantly got cheaper. Of, got lots of usable equity. You got lots of equity. Maybe you've got some other cash flow coming in. But that's not going to apply to everybody. And I do think, look, lawyers are in positions of trust and we respect them and we should respect them. We should respect everybody. But I do think in some instances, and I have certainly seen this, where lawyers either overreach in the advice they give or they give advice in areas where they do not have the necessary skill set to do so. Now, that's not every lawyer. I'm not, I'm not saying lawyers are bad. That's not the point. <laughs> I mean, they tend to be quite litigious. <laughs> <laughs> there are some very good lawyers at very good firms who listen to this show. <laughs> um, Send all your complaints directly to Vanessa. <laughs> but my, my point is here is that you really want to be working with lawyers who are experts in their field for whatever legal problem you have. And actually more than that, if you've made the decision to change your life and take a risk and make an investment, for example, you need everyone on your team to be on the same page, not working against you. Yes, they still need to tell you about the risks. Yes, they need to support you through it. But they do need to be on your side rather than getting in the way of you taking action. So what can you do if you're wanting to find a lawyer? I think the first thing is use a Property Can Me podcast approved lawyer. And we don't put these out because they pay us $100 for every time we mention their name. Sue Foley, Sue Foley, Landley Law. Just kidding. Because um, <laughs> we, 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 we don't. We do this because it makes such a big difference when we work with investors who use a lawyer who is familiar with a process that's going to work for them or someone that they've just picked out of the phone book or, or someone that their mum used a few years ago to settle the divorce. Well, it's also really hard to tell What's a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? Who's good and who's not? And we often used to say, ask for a recommendation. And then everybody kept on asking us for recommendations, so we put them out. And i tell you what, we do have six OPAs approved lawyers, which we're going to talk to you about in a second. But since we started counting, probably about two years ago, we have worked 
with 691 different lawyers around the country on property transactions. Huge number. So here are six that are Property Academy podcast approved. Sue Foley, Landley Law, Shetia, finally has a website. So go and check it out at the very least. Sue had so much business coming in. She's my personal lawyer for conveyancing. And she had so much business from me recommending her that she eventually just took down her website. She's like, I can't handle anymore. I can't handle someone Googling me and find out. But anyway, she's open for business. She's based in Christchurch, works with investors throughout the country. So she's the first person I'll mention. Shelley Fennell from Morrison Kent in Auckland. She's come on the podcast. She was actually, uh, we had some great feedback from her. Yeah, I just love that she had tattoos. <laughs> is that what you look for in a lawyer? No, I was just amazed. I was like, how cool is that? Like, I don't know. Catherine Mexted from Convex Law, who's based in Wellington. She's such a delight to deal with as well. And her, her husband's an accountant, right? Yeah, Hamish Mexted, funnily enough, same last name. And so what I like about Catherine is if you go to sleep every night next to an accountant, you probably chat about accounting things, I guess, or over the dinner table. What I like about that is that if you're sitting down at the dinner table talking about accounting and law, oh God, that must be boring. You kind of know a few more things that are going on than maybe, again, just a regular lawyer. Penny Lou from Lou Legal in Wellington. Oh, and isn't number five Michelle Erasmus from the Convancing Shop in Auckland? Yeah, thank you. And uh, then, of course, last but not least, Jenny Turner from Wynn Williams in Christchurch. Isn't it interesting that all six of them are females? Yeah, well, they're diligent. They do they're their They're diligent. Jobs. They don't have the egos that male lawyers have. Hopefully my lawyers that I employ that are males aren't listening to this. Shane, you're meant to be on holiday. Shane's going to send you a legal letter for that. (laughs) And then bill me for it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what else can you do? Yeah, other than using a Property Academy podcast approved lawyer, you can also ask the lawyers who you're working with, well, how many new build contracts do you give advice on a year? Is this something you do all the time or is this maybe something you only do once in a while? What do you specialise in? If they don't say property... It's probably not property. (laughs) And the other thing that I do want to say is you can have multiple lawyers. You can have one lawyer who works on your relationship property and another one who does your property transactions and another one if you're in business that handles all of your commercial litigation. It's not uncommon to use multiple lawyers because they do specialise in a lot of different things. And in fact, when we work with some of the lawyers that we do at OPAS, if we've got an employment issue or we've got a, a commercial dispute or we've got some other issue, We'll work with a different person. Another letter from Nikki Connors telling me to take down my billboards. Yeah, we've got, personally, I think I've got at least five lawyers that I work with on a somewhat regular basis. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to build your portfolio in 2023, might be the right time to come in for a portfolio planning session before the end of the year. Hey, easy way to sign up for this. Whip out your phone, send us a text. Text the word PLAN to 5522. Give you course, service right fit. Remember, no cost for that. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the property market. Until next time.